the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. Oh, yes, indeed. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining us as we are ready to rock and or roll at 10 minutes after the hour of 9 o'clock on this free for all Friday edition of Always Right Radio. It is the 16th morning of the month of groom in the year of our Lord 2023. Sometimes you just feel like screaming, don't you? This is one of those mornings. I've got uh, I've got a lot to scream about. I've got a lot to talk about. I've got a lot to rap about, and I want you to be a part of it with me. We're going to try to make this a true free-for-all. I've got two guests. Normally, shouldn't say normally, oftentimes we have Friday free-for-all, and I end up with uh, jam-packed guests, and we don't have a lot of time for your free-for-all calls. I want to try to make that happen today. I do have two guests coming up. Um, uh, at the top of the next hour, I believe, I think is what we have this scheduled for. Yeah, at uh, 1010, we're going to be talking with National Chairman of the Election Transparency Initiative, Ken Cuccinelli. We have had Ken Cuccinelli on this program a number of times talking about illegal immigration issues and a host of other things. But today we're going to be talking about election integrity, because guess what? 
A recent poll shows that 54% of Americans, so more than well, a majority, we'll call it that, more than half is a majority, of Americans think that there will be election fraud. And there's a difference between voter fraud and election fraud. Voter fraud is when individual voters do certain things. Election fraud is a planned and coordinated attack on the electoral system. And um, 54% of Americans think that's going to happen in the 2024 presidential election. So we're going to talk to Ken Cuccinelli about what's going to be done about that, what can be done about that. He's the chairman of the Election Transparency, Transparency excuse me, Initiative, and we'll talk about secure and uh, uh, in, uh, in, integrity-driven voting rights across this country. So that'll be at 1010 this morning. And then... Coming up at the top of the last hour at 1110, we're going to be talking um, with uh, with somebody about what I consider to be a pretty important issue. We are a wonderfully giving country, and we do try to take care of our own. But sometimes we do look outside of our country. I know uh, Hugh Hewitt does this every single year with his Food for the Poor campaigns. And we're going to be doing something similar to that as we support 30 Hearts. We're going to be tra- talking with uh, Jeff Mancinetti who is with 30 Hearts, and we're going to be looking for your assistance. And you're going to hear some really, really amazing stories uh, that I think are going to touch your heart and make you want to do something to help. So that will be coming up at uh, 1110 today. So those are our guests, Ken Cuccinelli at 1010 and Jeff Manson at 1110. A lot of opportunity for you to get in phone calls before, between, and after those guests. 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. Now, before we get to the top of the news of the day, What do you say we rise and do something Joe Biden won't do? Respect the flag that represents this glorious republic. We'll pledge our allegiance to it. Put your hand on your heart and face your flag if you have one. If you don't have one yet, work on that. And uh, I know you will. If you don't believe in the freedom that that flag represents, if you do support tyranny that that flag opposes, well, then you don't have to pledge your allegiance to it. You can take a knee like the rest of those leftists over there near the uh, unemployed quarterback. For the rest of us, however, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Okay, 9-13. I'm going to start with baseball because, well, this is the night we've been talking about for about a month. It's Groom 16, 2023. Tonight is the night that the Los Angeles Dodgers will be giving an award calling the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence Community Heroes. They get the Community Hero Award as part of their Pride Night in Los Angeles. This is the kind of thing you would say really only could happen in Los Angeles, but you'd be wrong because it could also happen in San Francisco. It could probably also happen in New York. It could probably also happen in some of the biggest left-wing cities in America, Philadelphia probably too. But at any rate, this one's happening in Los Angeles. As part of Pride Night, which is supposed to be to celebrate the sex lives of people who like to have different sex than heteronormative sex. What? You never heard heard it put that way before? How else can you put it? How else can you put Pride Night? What are they going to do at the Los Angeles Dodgers ballpark tonight? What did they do at the Cleveland Indians ballpark uh, last week? They're celebrating the sex lives of people who have different sex than heteronormative sex. That's it. I don't know why anybody's confused about this. What's Pride Month? It's a celebration of lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transsexual sex. 
quite a remarkable thing, really. It used to be something that was kind of kept in private, wasn't talked about in, in uh, public. You know, in decent society, we don't talk about our sex lives. It's something that is kept in the privacy of our sex lives, right? But now we celebrate our sex lives. Provided, of course, you're not a man who likes to have sex with a woman. And provided, of course, you're not a woman who likes to have sex with a man. But if you're a man that likes to have sex with a man, you you're, you you got pride night for you. If you're a woman who likes to have sex with a woman, well, you got a pride night for you, too. Of course, if you're a man or a woman who likes to have sex with men and women, that's the B in LGBTQ, then you're uh, you get a pride night, too. If you like to have sex with anything that moves, what the hell, we're going to give you a special award. If you are a boy who thinks he's a girl, a girl who thinks he's a boy, and thinks somehow you can change that with cosmetic surgery, we're going to make you a pride night, too. Pride night tonight in Los Angeles. And as a part of their Pride Night, they're going to have the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, which is a drag group of grown men who dress like women, but not just any women, Catholic nuns. And then they pervert and bastardize and blaspheme all things Christian. And they get an award tonight. I bring it up to say we have to recognize heroes when they emerge. A select few ball players have spoken out about this and expressed their anger at this attack because it's not about pride when you're when you're when you're intentionally mocking and defaming and uh, blaspheming a religion. And in this case, of course, it's Christianity because that's the only religion that is allowed to be mocked and defamed. You know that, and I'll prove that in just a moment. But a number of players have spoken out, the most recent of which has been the strongest. Washington Nationals pitcher Trevor Williams has teamed up with a Catholic app, an organization with an app uh, called Hallow, and he posted a viral tweet in which he called out the L.A. Dodgers for their hatred of Catholics, despite the fact that there are roughly 4 million Catholics in Los Angeles County. But Trevor Williams called out the Dodgers for their hatred of Catholics and for their support of this LGBT drag group that hates Catholics. It had to be said, Trevor Williams told EWTN in his first interview since the controversy, we cannot stand idly by while our Lord gets mocked. Like I said, he was he's one of a select few. One of a select few. Trevor Williams sent that message that said, as a devout Catholic, I am deeply troubled by the Dodgers' decision to reinvite and honor the group, the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, at their Pride Night this year. He said, and I want to get the quotes right here, so give me a second, uh, Major League Baseball game is a place where people come from all walks of life to feel welcomed, something I greatly respect and support. But to invite and honor a group that makes a blatant and deeply offensive mockery of my religion and the religion of over 4 million people in Los Angeles County alone undermines the values of respect and inclusivity that should be upheld by any organization. How about that? Calling for inclusivity, one of the uh, one of the letters in DIE. But that's because there is no inclusivity if Christianity is involved. You are excluded, Christians. Creating an environment in which one group feels celebrated and honored at the expense of another is counterproductive and wrong, he said. It's a clear violation of the Dodgers' discrimination policy. 
It seems that the Dodgers have made an exception in this case, doubling down that this group, which is gro- which grossly disrespects and openly mocks many of the traditions and beliefs that Catholics hold most dear, should be celebrated. The Dodgers should reconsider their association with this group and strive to create an inclusive environment that does not demean or disrespect the religious groups of any fan or employee. So he made this statement a couple of weeks back, and now uh, he is partnering with, as I said, a Catholic app called Hallow uh, to back that up. And he is doing that. The pitcher is teaming up with Hallow for an exclusive and totally free 12-day Sacred Heart Prayer Challenge. The challenge starts today, Groom 16th. The day Catholics celebrate the solemnity of sacred, the Sacred Heart and the day the Dodgers will also be honoring, and I wonder if that was intentional, the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. These prayers said, um, Hallow, or a spokesperson for Hallow, come together to unite everyone under the love of Christ and allows us to conform our hearts to Christ during the, this division in our culture. When St. Peter greets me at the gate, said Trevor Williams, pitcher, He's not going to ask what your win-loss record was in 2023. He's going to ask, how did you build the kingdom of heaven? To invite and honor a group that makes blatant and deeply offensive mockery of my religion is not something that should be upheld in any or by any organization. He is, of course, correct. Heroes, that word is thrown around all too often. He knows he's going to be called a bigot, does Trevor Williams. He knows he's going to be called a phobe. He knows he's going to be called an ist. He knows he is, 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 is risking his professional career and his personal um, relationships because the LGBTQ mafia, which is filled with bullies that have absolutely no tolerance for views that don't celebrate them, Their narcissism knows no bounds, none. He knows he's gonna. They're gonna come for him because that's what they do. So he's a brave, brave man, uh, and that courage should be saluted. I salute the courage of Trevor Williams. Now, the next level of the story goes here. Major League Baseball might actually be listening. What? The Media Research Center reports that Major League Baseball is in the middle of a crisis with the LGBTQ agenda. They figured out the hard way that a lot of their players are not being brainwashed into supporting this agenda. Several players, including, as I just mentioned, uh, that pitcher, along with uh, Anthony Bass, Matt Dermody, Brake Trinan, and others, who have said they do not want to be a part of this. The Tampa Bay Rays have decided they will not force players to wear any rainbow-themed jerseys for its Pride celebration on Saturday. That move comes in response to a situation that took place in 2022 in which several Christian players refused to wear them. Because of those uh, developments last year and recent statements by players, reports have emerged that the league will no longer force teams to have players wear rainbow-themed uniforms on a Pride night. The league apparently removed this requirement at an owner's meeting back in February to avoid creating conflict. The league is obviously keeping this on the down low, however, because they don't want to lose favor with the LGBT demographic, which of course means they don't want to be canceled. They don't want the LGBTQ movement to start something that is going to lambaste and and brand the LA Dodgers or the Cleveland Indians or the San Francisco Giants or whatever as being bigoted, homophobic, or transphobic. So baseball doesn't want to make this loud, but they apparently, according to this report, 
have decided they will not force or compel any teams to do any of these things during Pride Night. They certainly will not st- tell them not to. Obviously, they won't even tell the Dodgers not to do the anti-Catholic mockery thing with the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, but they're not going to force teams to do it. Media Research Center says, despite the MLB's half-hearted attempts to reverse course, this is still a positive development. It seems that the courage of the men who didn't bow to this ideology has paid dividends. Yes, it does indeed. MLB is uh, the second major major American sports league to begin to reverse course somewhat on supporting the LGBT agenda. The National Hockey League is considering banning Pride Nights altogether due to the growing number of teams and players who did not want to support that agenda. And to all of that, I can say nothing more than... Can you dig it? That flag that we talked about and we pledged our allegiance to a few minutes ago, that flag represents not only the defense of liberty, it represents the defiance of tyranny. And it is tyrannical to force and compel players to say or do things that they do not believe in. Liberty says you choose what you do without repercussions. I mean, short of obviously physically harming somebody. Liberty says you can do what you want to do, say what you want to say, and not be compelled to say things you don't want to say. Tyranny is the opposite of that. And so what a novel idea that in the United States of America, a nation founded in liberty, that we're actually going to start maybe moving back toward letting people have the right to free speech, free thought, free expression, and not be compelled to say or do things they do not want to say. It's a novel concept, I know. And we're going to see what the Supreme Court has to say about that, too, as rulings are expected to come down uh, very, very shortly, including one Alliance Defending Freedom case, and we've talked about this uh, already, about the website developer who was told they must develop a website for a transition or for a gay marriage or for whatever somebody wanted, even though it is something they did not believe in. Uh, and, of course, that one has reached to the Supreme Court as well. So we've got a lot to talk about today. We're going to talk about victories. We're going to talk about movements in the right direction. We're also going to talk about the work that is still to be done. Obviously, we got a lot of things to talk about with respect to the presidential election and the latest Trump news. So we got all of that coming your way, and I welcome you. 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. Thanks for being with us, and always right True and international average of pressure. Yeah, I agree with that. Okay, 929. No time for a call here because it's uh, coming right up against the news. But if you're on hold, stay there, and I'll come to you. If you're not on hold, get there. i got plenty of time to talk to you before 1010 when Ken Cuccinelli will join us. Uh, we do have a lot to discuss, not just the baseball story, not just the pride story, but the election story. President Trump is expanding his lead in the polls. This is a massive bump expected by the indictment. The question is, is will it last? And the other question is, is how is he going to campaign in a general election if he's still stuck in court? All of those questions are uh, up for grabs. We're going to hit that. Uh, Ron DeSantis has made some news. Tim Scott has made some news. So we want your thoughts on that as well as the uh, uh, Pride Night and Pride Day issues or Pride Month issues, rather, that we are discussing. Stay right here on Always Right Radio, AM 1420.
sleeping masses and stoking the fire of the American dream. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. 9.36 on a free-for-all Friday morning on AM 1420, The Answer. Who feels like starting the day with a little bit of music, huh? What do you say we start the day with a little bit of country, but not just any country? The number one selling song, or rather, the number one downloaded song on the entire iTunes music app. Number one in America. It's called 81 Million Votes My Ass. It's by the Truth Bombers featuring Carrie Lake. And it is sweeping America. You told me two years ago, three years ago, that I would be in the middle of a political movement. I would have said, put down Hunter's crack pipe. (laughs) Right now. It's Biden flesh and cross the nation. 81 million votes my ass. <laughs> hey, 81 million votes my ass. You failed to build back better. Your middle finger, the middle class. They've pissed off an already pissed off woman. 81 million votes my ass. The crime was committed in broad daylight. We're living on planet crazy. Got a laptop full of China. Hookers and blows and crap. And the diaries got creepy Joe in the shower. 81 million votes my ass. Hey, 81 million votes my ass. Guacamole tosses word salads that even cringe the Democrats. Waiting in the wings is a thing called Hillary. It's more than just funny. It's good music. At first I chuckled. I said, oh my gosh, Hillary Clinton is actually talking about me? That's funny. And then I got to thinking, maybe that's not funny. Oh my gosh, help, help. And I just want you all to know, I'm in perfect health. We've recently had our automobile serviced, and the tires are good, and the brakes are in good order, and I am not suicidal. Like I said, it's more than just funny. It's more than just accurate. He had the swamp going after him, and he was still getting stuff done. It's good music. How many votes are they going to find for him next time? I miss the mean tweets. I miss Donald Trump. 81 million votes. My ass. Ah, <laughs> oh, the Truth Bombers featuring Carrie Lake. That is, it's good music. That's why it's number one. It's not just number one because of the uh, content. Obviously, you know, Trump supporters, conservatives are all about it, but people are downloading it because it's jam. 
Tell me you weren't dancing a little bit in your own chair, wherever you are right now. I was absolutely doing that, and I absolutely love that, and I'm going to play it for you more and more. Uh, it continues to be number one on the iTunes download chart. Um, okay, back to the business at hand, 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. I want to uh, follow up on the baseball story real, real quick because I, I mentioned something that I would follow up on when I said that um, you know, only Christianity, it's the only religion that is allowed to be targeted in such ways without any pushback whatsoever. As evidence of this, have you heard any LGBTQ marches planned for Hamtramck, Michigan? Have you heard anything from the bullies and the cult members, the LGBTQ mafia, about going to Hamtramck? Why would they go to Hamtramck, you ask? Well, Hamtramck, Michigan, has an all-Muslim city council. It's the, the, the largest population of Muslims in one city in America. Hamtramck, Michigan. You probably know that, but if you don't, now you do. Located just outside of Detroit, the only Muslim-majority town in the United States of America. And guess what? They just passed a resolution. Their resolution is to unanimously ban pride flags from being displayed on public property. Not allowed. Are they being called homophobes, transphobes, bigots, prejudiced, haters, any of those kind of things? I haven't heard a word from the LGBTQ mafia. Christians stand outside a prayer or a, a, a pride parade or a pride event and pray, and they get arrested. You bigot, you homophobe, you transphobe. They're calling the cops. They're having people arrested for praying Christian prayers or reading the Bible outside of a, of a, a pride event. And Hamtramck, Michigan, the Muslim council representing an almost all-Muslim community, says none of that stuff here, not a word. Crickets. Crickets from the LGBT. Why? Because no one is going to attack the Muslim community. Intersectionality at play here. The Muslim community is also considered to be a marginalized community. If you're a marginalized community and thus a member of a protected class, then you can do whatever you want. No one can say anything. But if you're not the marginalized community, if you're the majority community like Catholics and Christians, you are prime target number one. Somebody make that make some sense. The LGBTQ will not go after the Muslims who are saying, we don't want any of your references to LGBTQ here in our community. And they're like, okay. We're fine. Let's go attack those Christians over there. Just to kind of put a cap on that so you know exactly what is going on. Christianity is in the crosshairs of the hate groups in America. I know that the Southern Poverty Law Center wants you to think that it's white Christian men, straight white Christian men that are the biggest threat in this country. No, Straight people, white people, and Christian people, quite frankly, are the ones who are at the biggest threat. They are not the threats. They are they are in jeopardy. They are threatened the most because they don't have they don't enjoy any protected status as a marginalized group. 
despite the fact that we are all becoming more and more marginalized every single day with every, every single new ruling. So just to let you know, when I claim that only Christians can be attacked like this without any repercussions whatsoever, I'm not just, you know, uh, you know, throwing this stuff up into the, into the air and seeing what sticks. It's reality. It's truth. And it's playing out before our very eyes. 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. I want to bring you another story now. I want to talk a little bit about higher education. Two ways, in fact. Number one, do you remember the story I told you uh, a few days ago? About the University of Cincinnati student, uh, her name is um, Olivia Krolchik. She's a student who went viral when she created a TikTok video showing her grade on a project proposal that she had to do for her final project at the University of Cincinnati's Women's Gender and Sexuality Studies class. And she put her project together, and in the project in which she is trying to prove something, about the difference between trans women and biological women and, and, and the things that they're allowed to do, which is the point of a gender and sexuality studies course, one would think. She was given a zero. She was failed and given a zero by her professor for using the term biological woman. Actually, biological women, plural. Think about that for a moment. You're supposed to discuss gender and sexuality in this course, which is called Women's Gender and Sexuality Studies. But you're not allowed to refer to women. Huh? What? Not biological ones. So that video went viral, like I said. It's been on uh, cable news and some other places as well. And Olivia is explaining exactly what happened to her. She showed the professor's comments that said it's transphobic to refer to biological women. And I'm trying to figure out which of those words is so problematic. Which one is phobic? Biological? Are we just not allowed to reference biology anymore? Or is it women? Because women aren't allowed to be recognized anymore. And I'm thinking it's the latter, although it could be both, could be because of what I told you yesterday about Johns Hopkins, one of the foremost uh, medical universities and medical centers in America, if not the world. Johns Hopkins put together their LGBTQ uh, uh, TQ, uh, glossary, in which the word woman is erased. They described gay as being male attraction to other males. They described women, or excuse me, lesbian, not as women being attracted to other women. It's non-males being attracted to other non-males. They can't even say the word woman. Now you got a college student at Cincinnati saying biological women and getting a zero for it. The professor, by the way, did an interview with the Cincinnati Inquirer and is doubling down. She's doubling down on this despite the massive criticism of her woke crap, giving a zero to a student who uh, dared to use the words biological women together. Her explanation was, and I'll quote her here, this is unacceptable based on the community, the marginalized individuals that are at stake. End quote. Hold on a second. The term biological women is unacceptable based on a marginalized individual that is, quote, at stake? What what are they at stake of? What are they in jeopardy of? What is a, quote, unquote, marginalized individual going to suffer from somebody writing a paper and doing a project about, quote, unquote, biological women? Are we supposed to pretend that the only women that are women are the trans women? The pretend women, 
the I'm making it up as women, the this is what I pretend to be women, they're the only ones who can get women status now. Biological women have to have their, their term check. What, non-males? Is that what we're going to do for biological women? Apparently so. So that professor said it's unacceptable to say the words biological women because marginalized individuals are at stake. Now, we have calls out, by the way. We're trying to reach that professor. I know that my chances of uh, getting that professor to come on the air with me are about as good as my chances of uh, uh, you know winning, the, uh, winning a, the New York City Marathon. But we're trying. And that brings me to the second part of this story. It's not a part of this story, but the second part of the college story. While Johns Hopkins University is canceling women, altogether the word woman, while Cincinnati, the University of Cincinnati, is canceling the words biological women, Bernie Sanders and leftist, fellow leftist, uh, Jamila, uh, uh, what's her name, uh, Jayapal, Pramila Jayapal, sorry, Pramila J- uh, Jayapal, they're teaming up to introduce a bill in Congress to make colleges and universities totally tuition-free. Tuition-free! You catch that? Tuition-free is what their goal is here. They have a bill. Now, aside from the fact that there is no such thing as tuition-free, we do realize this, right? We, we can all come to an agreement. There's no such thing as tuition-free because even if they don't charge the students, somebody has to pay for the colleges, for the buildings, for the grounds, for the tech, for the professors, for the staff. So if the students aren't going to pay for it, well, what are we going to do? Let's let's find out. Uh, let's listen to what uh, uh, Pramila Jayapal says. The about College that. for All Act, sponsored by Senator Bernie Sanders and Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal, would make public college free for families making under two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. But they are dancing around the question: Who is paying for it? Is it really free? Well, it is um, really trying to ensure that families, the majority of families. Um, earning up to 125,000 for an individual or 250 for a family, are able to access higher education. Is part of it paid through a tax on Wall Street, individual stock transactions? Put that in, but yes, certainly there's lots of different ways to pay for it. We we don't suffer from scarcity. The college. <laughs> um, Pramila says it's free, and then. How are we going to pay for it? Well, through a whole bunch of taxes. In other words, it's not free. Everybody who pays taxes is going to pay for every knucklehead 18-year-old to go to college so they don't have to pay for it. Now you say to yourself, why would they want to do that? Why would they want to fill colleges filled with students um, you know, that, that have no interest in a degree, that has no di- interest in an education, a higher education that's going to result in them getting a good job uh, and opportunities, but they just don't want to start adulting yet. They graduated from high school. I don't want to go to work. I don't want to go to the military. I know I'll go to college. It's free. And they'll go there, and they'll smoke weed, and they'll play beer pong, and they'll have sex. And they do all the college stuff that college students do, except for the studying part, because they don't have any interest in it. Maybe they don't even have the ability. Why would the universities, why would Bernie, why would Pramila, 
Why would they want to put those kids in college? Have you figured it out yet? The answer is in the first two parts of the story. Johns Hopkins and University of Cincinnati, for example. They want everybody, when they turn 18 and get out of high school, to come to the indoctrination centers. Even if you don't graduate, even if you flunk, you're going to be in classes long enough for us to brainwash you and your preformative minds. We know you don't finish forming your, your prefrontal cortex until 26 years of age. So we got you at 18 and 19, and if you last till 2021, 22, we've got even more. So we can teach you that women aren't real. So we can teach you that, that uh, there's no such thing as biology. We can teach you there's no such thing as the binary. Teach you that, there's, uh, that men can get pregnant, that men can have periods and menstrual cycles, and that women can have penises, and that it's good and gender-affirming to cut body parts, healthy body parts off of people. We're going to teach you all of those things, that critical race theory is correct that this country was founded in 1619 and based on slavery, the institution it revered, and that white descendants of slave owners are still oppressors, just like their great-great-great-great-grandparents were, and, and white descendants, or excuse me, black descendants of slaves are still oppressed by all of them. They want all of these kids in school, in college, because this is exactly how they grow their majority. It's how they continue the deconstruction. I'm going to use that term to be gentle as opposed to destruction. The deconstruction of the American Constitutional Republic. The deconstruction of capitalism. The deconstruction of the nuclear family. The deconstruction of science and biology so that it can be replaced with cultural Marxism and economic collectivism. Do you understand this yet? The reason they want to forgive the loans, it's twofold. One, again, is to get more kids to want to come to college and then eventually not even have to take out loans. We're going to make it free for you, free in giant air quotes, because it's not free for you and me. Because we got to pay for it through higher taxes, as Pramila Jayapal just said. But it's that, and of course, votes. They want young people to say, Democrats gave us free college. Vote for Democrats. And then they can literally deconstruct this country and build it up into the collectivist society that they have been pushing for for so very long. All of this is plain as the nose on your face. If you're looking with eyes open and ears open and your mind wide open, you will see this for what it is. Do not be fooled. 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. We are off and we are rolling. we got Ken Cuccinelli coming up after the top of the hour. want you to be a part of the show when you're ready at 216-901-0945. Right back. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420. The answer. Onward into hour number two now, eight minutes past ten o'clock. Good Friday to you. It's the 16th morning of the month of groom in the uh, year of our Lord, 2023. They're going to honor the 
Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence with a Community Hero Award tonight at the Dodgers game. Reactions to that insanity and the hate group that is uh, going to be rewarded for attacking Catholics are still to come. The reactions actually never stopped, but uh, tonight it comes to a head, obviously. We're going to be talking more about that. Now, though, let's talk about, you know, I've been talking about poll numbers. We've been playing fun songs like Carrie Lake's 81 million votes my ass. <laughs> um, 54%, according to the most recent survey that I saw on the subject, 54% of voters believe that the 2024 election is going to be rife with election fraud. Not voter fraud, but election fraud. There is a difference. How can we trust the results of the election, especially based on what happened in 2020 and in Carrie Lake's own election in Arizona in 2022? Joining us now to talk about election integrity is um, the national chairman of the Election Transparency Initiative, ETI. That's just one title that Ken Cuccinelli carries. He is also the former Acting Deputy Secretary of Homeland Security. Ken Cuccinelli, thank you so much for joining us this morning here on AM 1420. The Answer, how are you, sir? Better than America. Good morning. Well said. Well said. We are in a very, very trying time right now. There's no question about it. So let's dive right in with that first uh, title that we just talked about and the Election Transparency Initiative that you chair. Uh, tell us what this organization hopes to do, especially considering that very few Americans seem to have faith in the electoral system anymore. Well, certainly uh, our ultimate goal is that Americans not only have faith in our electoral system, but have good reason to have faith in our electoral system. Both of those are important. Confidence in the outcome is important, as is an accurate and honest system. So we've been working for that for two and a half years, uh, ever since the 2020 election. We've been working in states all over the country, including yours. Uh, and for the first two years of that, we were fighting the Democrats' efforts to take wa- elections over in Washington, which would have been horrific. Uh, it is much better to deal with 51 states, including counting the District of Columbia, 50 states plus D.C., with their own separate elections, uh, just as the founders expected it to be. And we have made improvements in the last two years. Not in every state. There are some states like Michigan that have gone backwards. But most states where there have been changes have been changes for the better. Half the states, for example, have now banned Zuckerbucks. I'm sure you've talked about that on your show. And, Certainly. And that was essentially a Mark Zuckerberg funneling money, getting a tax deduction to do it uh, through nonprofits to do get out the vote for Joe Biden for president. And that alone flipped the outcome in 2020. You didn't even need anything else um, to say nothing of the Hunter Biden story and everything else going on. But that's gone in half the states now, which is obviously a huge improvement. We've improved on voter ID. We're still improving on that. North Carolina just uh, unveiled a slate of election reforms, and they now have enough Republicans in the legislature because one Dem switched to Republican, and she agrees with us on many of these issues, um, to override the Democrat governor's veto of good election integrity legislation. So there are reasons um, to be more optimistic about 24 than about 20. Uh, I would say, as a former attorney general, one of the best ones is that they now know everybody's watching. And I can tell you, having dealt with criminals for a long time, the most important um, fact or belief 
on the part of somebody considering doing a bad thing isn't the penalties. It isn't the likelihood of getting caught. It is their belief in the likelihood of getting caught. And with our folks, including the ones listening to you and me right now, going in and running elections as local election officials, which anybody listening can do, um, that has been a huge deterrent to bad acts going on in these elections. So I urge everybody to keep doing that. Um, get trained. Go be an election official in your local election office. We are talking with Ken Cuccinelli this morning. I'm, I'm moderately surprised to hear that for one reason, the last part. Um, they they know they were being watched now because we saw, you know, 1,000 mules. We, they know that, that we were watching because they have seen all of the evidence we have gathered about the computer fraud and the voting machine fraud, but nobody was held accountable. Nobody was held accountable. Or is it 2,000 mules? I'm sorry. Anyway, nobody was held accountable for their ballot harvesting, for their ballot dumping. Nobody was held accountable for their fraud with the computers because the judges would never hear them. All of those cases that were brought were booted for standing uh, most of the time, and, and and so if if we were if they knew they were on tape and were and were caught the last time but there were no repercussions why is there a deterrent this time around well let me so let me give you some exceptions to that okay. it took a long time but in Wisconsin the Wisconsin Supreme Court held the ballot drop boxes illegal they will not happen in the future in Wisconsin on an unsupervised basis uh, just by way of example my home state Virginia they accepted ballots after Election Day, despite the fact the statute says they have to be in by Election Day. A court ruled in Virginia, state court, not federal. Your comment is dead on on the federal courts. Mm-hmm. Um, state court ruled that was illegal and contrary to the law under Democrat Governor Northam. Um, we now have Republican Governor Yunkin, who, by the way, won with a Democrat set of rules. Largely, our only improvement was about 4,000 more election observers that we trained and recruited and and, uh, who showed up in all the most difficult and suspicious places. And and the whole Republican ticket won in Virginia in 21 with a Democrat set of rules. So it can be done. We've done it. Um, And um, so while you shouldn't interpret what I'm saying as any sort of suggestion that there's no problems, and, uh, and I'm not worried about anybody doing bad things. I'm just telling you we've made significant improvements, many of them below the radar, and some of them, like more of our own folks showing up, don't even require changes in the law. Mr. Cuccinelli, um, tell me why um, why it is that we still are afraid to push for things like the voter ID laws. I'm glad they are in the select examples you gave. You mentioned North Carolina as well. We continue to be fearful of the allegations that this is somehow suppressing the vote, that this is somehow disenfranchising certain segments of the population, particularly racial demographics. Yeah, and all the data. Yeah, But they they, they continue to use that. Yeah, they're using it on television. I mean, everywhere you turn, if you want to say, hey, look, one person, one vote, everybody has to show who they are. Oh, you don't want black people to vote. That continues to be a huge issue in, 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 in trying to restore election integrity. So I was uh, in a congressional hearing a week and a half ago, and I got that same set of hits again from the sort of mindless mantra from the left. But what I have now is I have Georgia to point at, where literally hundreds of millions of dollars 
of attacking went on of that position. And the 2022 midterms primaries had the highest minority turnout ever. They had enormous turnout in the midterm election. And that, you know, one of the universities, all left wing, did a, did surveys after the election and found, I'm not kidding you on this number, zero percent, zero percent of black voters reporting they had a bad election experience and the almost identical percent of black and white voters, 73, reporting that they had a good or excellent voter experience. So we, you know, the truth is the most powerful ally we have. And I would say, because I'm all over the country with this, that they have been more muted by that. We literally now have examples in their face about why they're wrong and why they're lying. And we can call them out on it straight away um, with facts on our side. And they can't point to facts. So they do have more money. They do have the media, um, mainstream media, and that's it. They don't have truth. And we have that powerful ally, the most powerful ally of all, truth, as George Washington said. Yeah. It's not that we be God be on our side, but we be on his. The same is true of truth. We need to be on the side of truth, and we are. And we are. So uh, many of the Zuckerberg's bills passage I told you about were bipartisan in Pennsylvania, in South Carolina. I mean, we got election reform improvements, modest ones, in New Jersey. New Jersey. I was born in New Jersey. I legally immigrated to Virginia when I was two. But it's uh, not known as a uh, state terribly concerned with election integrity. And yet we got transparency improvements there, too. So. Uh, if you take the politics out of it, if you put a hundred random Americans in a room, they'd all come up with a pretty good election system. Uh, well, that's when the partisanship gets injected in there, where the radical left actually wants a bad system. They want that, folks, just like they want an open border. This isn't a mistake at the border. They want a mess because they believe they they're far better lawyered up, and they are, thanks to George Soros money. Um, to fight it out in the courts. Yeah, I think that's very well said. It's hard to, uh, it's a tough ask, though, to take the politics out of it because they are front and center in it. We're talking with Ken Cuccinelli. Uh, yeah, it, it is unfortunately true. We're talking with uh, Ken Cuccinelli. He is the uh, uh, chairman of uh, the Election Transparency Initiative. And, and you know, I, you, you mentioned that we've made great strides in certain states, and you're right, and I'm glad of that. You gave some great examples of it. What about the ones where we haven't made many changes? What about states where ballot harvesting is still essentially being done? We've resisted. And, and, and what should the Republican Party do in those states? Well, really, in all states, when it pertains to the things the Democrats have been doing well that we've resisted, including banking votes in early voting. Republicans really like the idea of one one vote, uh, one voting day, and I'll do my voting on election yep, day when I'm sure. supposed to. The Democrats have cleaned our clocks by banking votes for 30 days in advance. Are the Republicans getting that message? Yes, they absolutely are, and, and ETI is preaching it as well. I mean, you look at Nevada in the last cycle. It's a good example of what you're saying. There weren't improvements made. Um, ballot harvesting was legal, and it cost Adam Laxalt that Senate seat. And there's, there's no question about it. In the last weekend, both sides saw that he was up by three points. They turned the unions out to go collect votes, ballots, and, um, and, and they beat him doing it. Virginia, it's legal. We need to beat them at this. As I tell people, look, the left doesn't have principles. This is about power and outcomes. 
If you want to get rid of early voting, beat them at early voting. They will join you at getting rid of early voting because they don't have principles. It's only about things where they believe they can have an advantage. I was I ran for the state Senate in Virginia three times, won three times. I'm a conservative, and I was in a liberal area, Northern Virginia. And I beat my Democrat opponents in these absentee ballot chases and all these kinds of things, such as they were 20 years ago, um, much more limited back then. But we can beat them. They, they don't have any inherent advantage in this stuff. Unfortunately, you know, if you look at coming out of 2020, you know, President Trump was telling us, no, don't do this, only vote on Election Day in Georgia. He said, your vote doesn't matter. We now know that it costs us both of those Senate seats. People need to show up. They need to use every legal means available. We can't, on some supposed principled basis, not do ballot harvesting in states where it's legal, not do vote banking where that can be done. In Virginia, we have a 45-day election. I hate that. I hate it. There's no reason for it. There's no reason at all for it. And, frankly, it wears out our system, and that's part of their goal. They want to build a system that we can't watch for the duration of the election. And yet we, over 4,000 people, more people showed up in 21 than showed up in 20 to be election officials. And we did watch them everywhere. And uh, and we preserved our victory. 21. It can be done. That same sort of effort is taking place now in about half the states, including, as you might imagine, all the swing states. So uh, that's something that people listening to you and me who are motivated about this issue can do themselves. And I would urge them to do that. We need to do it everywhere in this country. The left doesn't leave any place off the table. They're trying to take Texas, you know, then they're surely trying to take Ohio and Virginia and fill in the blank. Um, so we need to be everywhere as well. We're talking with Ken Cuccinelli. Um, let, let's bring this conversation home here to Ohio. I want to ask you about uh, just your opinion. We have an August 8th special election schedule. In fact, early voting is, starts in less than a month. Same story we were just discussing. Uh, and this, right. of course, is uh, an issue to uh, raise the threshold for amending the Ohio Constitution from 50% plus 1 to 60%. There's a small handful of states that already have such a thing. Uh, right. And the goal here for for many of us who are yes on one is to make sure that we get enough people to say no uh, in November on a ballot initiative to amend the Constitution, which would essentially enshrine abortion until uh, literally at any point in a, in a, in a, in a, in a pregnancy uh, into the Ohio Constitution and do some other things, stripping parents of rights over their kids. So uh, what yep. are your thoughts on that special election? The left hates that we have it, and uh, but they are determined to win it. Yeah, they'll they'll outspend us, right? My first special election was August 6th. It was in the middle of the summer. The turnout was 16.5%. So, you know, every person, every person listening to you and me gets to show up for that uh, is, is a big deal. It's a bigger deal than a general election because they're going to be a bigger proportion of the vote. And I would make a philosophical comment. I think that uh, initiative and referendum, having been in government, is a good thing, but it is a departure from a Republican form of government, not the partisan part. And so this 60% threshold really is very consistent with the founding principles of this country. So that's my first point. My second point is that when we're facing off with a side that is willing to spend so much more money than we can, like they did in Michigan, they literally passed a comprehensive election law and put in their constitution in Michigan 
that got rid of voter ID, and I kid you not, they literally spent millions of dollars telling people that if you vote for this, you're protecting voter ID. They just flat out lie. They're going to lie, and they're going to do it with more money. So I think the 60% insulation is a, an excellent idea. I hope people will not only show up for it, but actually bring their friends and family to vote for it as well. You know, when you talk about the amount of money that they're spending, what, what's really interesting and, and, in my opinion, troubling is where that money is coming from. I mean, we, I, I, I gave a speech at a GOP event a couple of nights ago, and, uh, and we heard from people who were getting mailers from California, women emailing from California, or, sorry, not emailing, sending physical mail, postcards, uh, to Ohio residents telling them vote no uh, on August 8th to protect abortion and to protect uh, you know, women's reproductive rights. So California... Out-of-state money is flooding into this entire thing, and yet they're claiming that this is going to protect the vote for Ohioans. I think this is literally, unless we raise that threshold, unless we pass this thing in November, Ohioans literally are losing their own votes. Yeah, that, that, that's right. And these are the same people who want to do, like, national popular vote, which would mean that somebody running for president could win Ohio but not get its electoral votes because of the Californias and New Yorks of the world just outvoting you. Bingo. This is the same mentality. You're talking about it on the money and activist level. The most radical people in the country are invading Ohio through your mailbox, trying to uh, take control of your law and your state. And the only way to stop that, or the best way to stop that that's available, is to vote for the referendum to raise the ballot proportion to 60 percent in august i think it was a brilliant move to put that on there and uh, i hope everybody listening shows up and votes for it yeah we have to uh we have to out turn out them because you're right it's an august election that's going to be very very low turnout they are highly very motivated low. and they are very well funded we need to be more motivated uh and, and as you know it's the time people are on vacation and everything else you're just not going to get yep. uh the numbers that you want so the people who are going to be around need to come out and turn out and we're going to have to make sure uh that the election and use that early voting period for and us. Use that. Yep, bank them. That's exactly right. Ken Cuccinelli is working hard on election transparency. As a matter of fact, he's the chair of the Election Transparency Initiative, ETI. Ken, thank you so much for your time, sir. We certainly appreciate your work. Great to be with you. Thank Good you. To talk to you, sir. 1027 takes us to a timeout here toward the bottom of the hour. We're guest-free until 1110 now, which means if you want to get in on this free-for-all Friday, this is your opportunity. 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. Always Right Radio is right back. Waking up America from its woke slumber. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. 1036 on a Friday, free-for-all Friday, right here on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Did you um? Did you hear the latest insanity from the guy who pretends to be our president right now? Seriously. Um, when you think he can't embarrass himself more than he already has, Joe Biden pretty much says, hold my Bud Light. Um, it's it's bizarre. I don't know what the hell he's talking about. When he talks about building a railroad, okay, a railroad from the Pacific to the Indian Ocean. If you say, oh, stop making stuff up. 
okay, you think I'm making it up? Joe Biden is the president of the United States, and this is literally what he said. Well, we're going to win, and we're going to help. We have plans to build a railroad from the Pacific all the way across the Indian Ocean. We're going to build a railroad from the Pacific all the way across the Indian Ocean. I, 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 I'm... If there's a new technology that allows you to build floating railroads, I'm all in. Show me. Hell, I'll raise my taxes. I might help pay for that. If you can build a railroad overseas, when all of the last couple of centuries we've been doing it over land, if you got a way to build railroads on the ocean, for goodness sakes, man, show me that tech and sign me up. I am all in. We're going to win and we're going to help. We have plans to build a railroad from the Pacific all the way across the Indian Ocean. Uh, let's do this. I'm looking at maps. I'm looking at maps right now, and I'm trying to, first of all, first, the tech part, I'm, I'm struggling on that. But maybe I don't know everything. I, after all, I don't know how AI works. I don't know how we have computers in our pockets things that are calculators and telephones and flashlights and radios and uh, and encyclopedias and and photo, uh, 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 photo albums and all the different things all in one little square in my pocket. Maybe it's just beyond my scope of comprehension or ability to understand the tech of the railroad on the water. But uh, if you can explain to me how you're going to do it from the Pacific all the way across the Indian Ocean, that, that's that's now calling me calling into into question my geography skills too. And I admit I wasn't a geography major. I wasn't a social studies guy. I was an English major. So I, I don't know the tech, and maybe I don't know the geography. But all I know is that it would appear to me to be a really difficult ask to build a railroad from the Pacific all the way across the Indian Ocean. During the remarks, he claimed that climate change is the only true existential threat to American posterity. Um, I'm trying to figure out how the railroad across the ocean actually affects climate change, but this is what he said. Strong majorities of U.S. Americans, U.S. Americans, <laughs> literally says this in this report. <laughs> Who said, oh, that was the... Uh, that was Miss. Uh, that was Miss South Carolina. Miss Teen South Carolina in the, uh, in one of the greatest pieces of audio in the hi- and audio and video in the history of um, of the medium of of radio or television when she declared U.S. Americans. Anyway, strong majorities of Americans have concerns about Biden's health and mental acuity, including three in four Democrats, fifty percent of them being either very or somewhat concerned, twenty six being slightly concerned so that's 76 percent of democrats say they're at least slightly and maybe more so concerned about his mental um uh and uh, mental acuity in his health and an overwhelming number of republicans already know and now you know too especially and i love this picture by the way i'm looking at i'm looking at a, a proposed uh railroad across the water <laughs> From the Pacific to the Indian Ocean. By the way, this is the other. This is the guy who also said this. As Commander in Chief, I was proud to have ended the ban on transgender Americans. Yeah, those transgender Americans, boy, just can't seem to get a fair shake. They're banned everywhere they go. These, transgender uh, Americans. That's them. Yeah, yeah, I'm worried about those transgender Americans. Funny people sometimes. I think. Kind of goes with the job title, I guess. I don't know. Uh, let's go to the phones. Two one six nine zero one zero nine four five. Ray, Cleveland. 
You're on AM 1420, The Answer. Fire away, Ray. Yes, sir. Boy, is that a privilege and an honor. I've always wanted to call in first time. Well, I'm glad you uh, did. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I understand that homosexuality has been something that's been around since the beginning of recorded civilization, whether it's in the Greeks or the Romans or what have you. Yeah. But what I don't understand is, what is the overall, what is the motivation to normalize and realistically increase the amount of homosexuality we have in society? Is it, is it simply depopulation? What is it? What's the motivation for all this? Well, you'd have to ask the, uh, the recruiters who are trying to add uh, to their ranks. Um, personally, I think the, the, uh, the push is from the radical extremist left, the cultural Marxists who want more political power. They see this as a, an untapped market, kind of a new market of voters uh, that are going to be left-wing in thinking and going to support them, and so they want to bring them in and express in, in, in much the same way that blacks uh, that uh, the Democrats have taken blacks and essentially said, you have to be Democrat because you're black. We're the ones who are going to help you. We're the ones who are going to give you food. We're the ones who are going to give you Section 8 housing. We're the ones who are going to provide you with the uh, necessities of life that you've been denied by the racist system we're in. So you support Democrats, and we'll support you back. So what has happened here, in my opinion, is that the radical extreme left Democrats are doing the same thing with uh, with the LGBTQ community now, saying nobody likes you. These people don't respect you. They don't tolerate you. We do. We want to celebrate you. We're going to bring you. Or we're going to. We're going to have parades for you. We're going to tell everybody how uh, wonderful you are. We're going to get you hired and this and that and the other thing. And 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 what are they going to do in return? Uh, this growing population, which by the way is growing at exponential rates, particularly the trans part of the LGBT, that's the trans part, Q community, uh, it's growing by triple-digit percentages. In other words, it's double, tripling, quadrupling in various locales. And they want to take advantage of this population and turn them into fellow cultural Marxist Democrats and expand their political base so that they can advance their own agenda. That's my opinion. Very good, very good. And then I have a different question on a, on a different topic in reference to all the people running, you know, on the Republican side for, for president. You know, at one point, I think, well, anyone who's, you know, anti-Trump or talking negative about Trump, of course, we don't want them running on that kind of message. But if you have 10 people in the Republican side of things running and speaking on conservative messaging out there across the United States, in 10 different locations, putting out the message, hopefully getting more people to think logically about what, what we're trying to do in this country, wouldn't that be better than just having just one person out there campaigning and that's it? Well, yeah. Um, for me, I want a robust primary. Now, <sighs> If you're a Donald Trump supporter, first and foremost, you probably don't want uh, to have just a couple of people uh, to choose from. You want the, you know, President Trump has a massive base of loyal supporters who will only support him. The base of people or the, the, the ranks of people who may, may support him but who are open to the idea of somebody else are looking for that somebody else. It's in Donald Trump's best interest if that, uh, if that you know, 
anybody else option includes nine or ten people to choose from. The more people there are, the more the non-Trump vote is split, and therefore nobody can beat him, and he waltzes in to the nomination. Um, so for me, I want a good, healthy, robust primary season. I want to hear Donald Trump on a debate stage again. Remember, it's been four years since he was, well, it's been three years since he's been president, but um, I want to see him, how he stacks up against the ideas of Ron DeSantis and Tim Scott and, and uh, you know, Vivek Ramaswamy and others. I want to see it. I don't want it to be 10 strong, though. I don't want the Asa Hutchinsons up there wasting time and space. I don't want the, uh, quite frankly, Nikki Haley is not my, my cup of tea either. I don't need necessarily need to see her. Certainly the mayor of Miami, what's his name, Suarez, that nobody's even ever talked about or heard of. I don't need those people clouding, uh, you know, the state. But uh, I think if we had a good four or five candidates who are strong conservatives and we could hear all of their ideas and see what they bring to the table, that's democracy. That is how our representative republic works in a democratic fashion. That's democracy. I don't think Donald Trump should be able to cruise in without uh, uh, any objection or any objection. competition any more than I think Joe Biden should be able to skate right into nomination for re-election while they ignore Robert Kennedy over there. Uh, I absolutely think a strong primary makes the best general election candidate for both sides. Excellent, Bob. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Well, thank you. I appreciate the call. Well, no pushback either. I'm impressed. Uh, I hope people understand that. And by the way, The bump that President Trump is enjoying right now from the indictment, and that might sound goofy, right? They're trying to take him down, and they are, and we need to push back against it with every fiber of our being. Like I said, we absolutely have to to support Donald Trump against this this personal uh, prosecution. That is a persecution as much as anything else. What they're doing to him is criminal. It damages and endangers all of us. All of us, not just candidates, but if they can do this to him, they can do it to other candidates, too. And if they can do it to candidates, what do you think they can do to regular people? The FBI has already targeted regular, regular people like you and me through the through the, uh, you know, the school board meetings uh, that they were cracking down on and declaring people who come to school board meetings, declaring people who go to Latin masses, potential domestic terrorists. You know, moms against, uh, or moms for liberty, uh, you know, being treated that way. So they're already, the feds already coming after you and me. But if they can take down a former president and current front runner of, of the Republican Party, they can take down any of us. So you better damn well support Donald Trump here if you have any earthly hope of, of maintaining this republic. It will collapse if we allow this kind of thing to happen. Not to mention, he's being railroaded. He's being railroaded. I, I don't want to. I don't want to overstate that, and I don't want to understate it either. I played this for you yesterday. Should I play it again? I probably should play it again. Just a reminder of how how uh, you know two sided, if you will, and double standarded, if you will, that the FBI uh, and the Department of Justice is. Remember. Hillary Clinton committed more egregious classified document violations than Donald Trump could ever hope to. James Comey agreed that she did those things, listed them as the FBI director, and then said, yeah, but I don't think anybody should prosecute her. Donald Trump's aren't anywhere near as egregious, and he's facing 37 counts. He's being railroaded. I played this for you yesterday. 
I want to play it again right now. Let's listen to this. Did not email any. No. I did not email any um, classified material to anyone. There is no classified material. 110 emails in 52 email chains have been determined by the owning agency to contain classified information at the time they were sent or received. I provided all my emails that could possibly be work-related. Several thousand work-related emails that were not among the group of 30,000 emails returned by Secretary Clinton. I thought using one device would be simpler. She also used numerous mobile devices to send and to read email. There were no security breaches. It is possible that hostile actors gained access to Secretary Clinton's personal email account. It was my practice to communicate with State Department and other government officials on their .gov accounts. The hostile actors gained access to the private commercial email accounts of people with whom Secretary Clinton was in regular contact from her personal account. Um, no doubt that we've done exactly what we should have done. They were extremely careless in their handling of very sensitive, highly classified information. People will be able to judge for themselves. So, we all know what happened after that. After he said all of those things, he said no reasonable prosecutor would bring charges against her. <laughs> Meanwhile, here we are. Here we are. Uh, four years later, President Donald Trump uh, is facing charges for far, far less egregious um, quote-unquote crimes or mistakes or mishandling or whatever you want to call it than that. So, at any rate, he's enjoying a bump from the indictment because so many people are rightly, and I am one of them, rallying behind him. That doesn't necessarily mean you have to vote for him in the primary. And if you think it's a foregone conclusion, I read an article from PJ Media uh, today, and uh, I wanted to just give you the highlights of it. Let me see if I still have it, have it nearby here. Yeah, I think I do. Yeah, this was in PJ Media today. Um... An analysis of Republican polling trends in the Reuters-Ipsos surveys reveals there has been a shift in support from April through June, or to June, rather, June 9th, uh, from Donald Trump to Ron DeSantis. That the 37-point advantage Trump enjoyed in April went uh, whittled down to 21 in June, a 16-point increase in support for DeSantis. DeSantis and Trump are also tied in the battleground state of Iowa, indicating why Trump has been uh, mercilessly hammering DeSantis as his number one foe. Uh, recent polling, according to PJ Media, shows uh, that a significant, of President Tr- uh, a significant portion of President Trump's support is coming from, quote, swayable GOP primary voters. They cite a CBS News YouGov poll as saying that nearly half of GOP primary voters, 49% of them, would consider either Trump or another candidate. Only 24% are exclusively Trump or no one. 27% are exclusively never Trump uh, and definitely someone else. The recent indictment of Trump by the Biden administration is causing a rallying effect behind Trump, as it should. However, just as the Manhattan indictment rallying effect faded, so will this one. And Ron DeSantis may find himself gaining support from some GOP voters who feel he's a safer bet and less toxic than Trump, with considerably less drama 
Concerns are real that Trump's legal issues could make it difficult for him to campaign at the height of the presidential general election season, which may be very well the Democrats' strategy. So that's just, you know, one look at at the polls, and which is why we need to have a very robust survey, or survey, excuse me, primary, a very robust primary. These surveys and polls indicate that, you know, Donald Trump is in a huge, huge way the favorite. If I had a nickel or if I had $50,000, I would put all of it on Donald Trump to win this primary and to be the nominee. I would put every nickel on it, every bit I had, and then I would campaign my butt off to 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 get him elected um but it is not a foregone conclusion not yet anyway which is why the primaries matter which is what makes the targeting of trump and i know i'm going in a little bit of a circle here but which is what makes the targeting of him so egregious it it's textbook election interference now he's not going to be able to be out there competing in some of the same places that the other primary candidates are and the targeting of him by the democrats to help him get a bump to win the the primary and become the nominee will pay off for them when it is a general election season next summer and it's Trump v. Biden or Trump v. Michelle Obama or Trump v. Romney or whatever, and he's going to be tethered to courtrooms, either in Florida or in Manhattan or soon-to-come Georgia, and he's not going to be able to run an effective campaign and go do what he has to do to win. They are setting him up to fail in a general election setting. And that should, should, should pardon me, but piss off every single one of us. Uh, Tracy is calling from Strongsville. Tracy, you're on AM 1420, The Answer. Go right ahead. Hey, Bob. Good morning. Uh, Good morning God, I Tracy. just loved everything you said because it brings me to my point because mm-hmm. I agree with you. I think that they're setting Trump up to fail in the general election. I think we get everything that we want with DeSantis. We get Trump's policies, but we get a polished, well-spoken, no circus around him. So why have we not put legislation forward to put a cap on the age of how old you can be so we don't have to deal with a Biden or a Trump? It takes care of both, Trump and, and Biden. You know, it, it would, when you watch and listen to Joe Biden, it would seem reasonable that there should be an age limit. I mean, Trump, I, I, to be truthful, I don't think it's an issue for Trump. He just turned 77 on Wednesday. Either. And, and he sounds the same way as he did at 67, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I mean, he sounds like he's still with it. Now, does he say things that tick a lot of people off? Yeah. Does he say things that make you scratch your head and go, what the hell? Yeah. But it's not age related. It's just his personality. With Donald, or with, uh, Joe Biden, I see actual cognitive decline. But here's the thing. I have uh, callers who are older than Joe Biden who call me and who are, are as articulate and sharp and, 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 and uh, clear-headed and clear-minded with cognitive ability oh, yeah. for days um, as much as anybody my age does. But the, but so are, it's not an age thing. That... Well, but my, Hold on, Tracy. I'll give you the last word, I promise. But yeah. my, my response to you is that I don't think it's an age thing. It, it, there ought to be cognitive, I don't want to say cognitive testing, but, but real um, nonpartisan, not personal doctor that's going to go and give you the report that you want well, when they give you your cognitive exams. But there needs to be some kind of a standard that everybody has to pass. Whether because you could be seventy five and still be, you know, or or, or seventy and, and and be in a real bad way, and you can be eighty five and be you know sharp as a tack. So I, I think age, you know, the number shouldn't or the situation shouldn't rest on a number. To me, the evaluation should rest on cognitive ability at the time. Now I'll give you the final word. Go ahead. 
Well, we know that they lie about the cognitive test. That's I know, a fact. I know. They have their own personal doctors, which is a major problem. Yeah. However, I mean, even surgeons at a certain age have to, look, if I, look if this guy was 78 years old and he was going to operate on the open heart versus a 45-year-old, I, I might be scratching my head on which one I'm going to go with. Agreed. You know, the 85-year-old has probably done, you know, 250 more surgeries than the other guy. He's got experience for days, but his hands might shake because you're older, but and it have, just happens. But this is the leader of the free world. Like, I mean, my heart no, your is point, your point is a fair so one. I'm with you, you know, and, and if and and to kind of you know use the metaphor you just said on surgery, he'd be the one operating on the country and deciding whether or exactly. not the country survives or not. I, I'm with you, uh, and and I'm very concerned about Joe Biden, but I wouldn't just go out of my way and say we need a a constitutional amendment. We already have, you know, the the age minimum is 35. I I don't know that we right. can put a cap on it because then that would also, you know, here's what it does. What if you put the cap at 80? just for the sake of the discussion. What if you put the cap yeah. at 80 and somebody is running for election at 78? They're going to be 80 whether they're in the middle of a term. Are they going to have to leave and then turn well, it over to the vice president? I that says you have to be an age by a certain, you know, by a certain date. But also, my bigger point is that, man, I'll vote for Trump if he wins, okay? Mm-hmm. But yeah, me too. I would like for him to get out of the way, and this solves both problems for both parties. Democrats and Republicans in getting rid of two candidates that really do need to move out of the way, Biden and Trump. I, I hear you loud and clear, Tracy. Thank you for the call. Great conversation with you. I enjoyed it. Uh, like I said, the age thing doesn't bother me for Trump because I don't think he's lost a step. I think he still has his fastball. It's Some people just don't like him. Just don't like it at all. And again, what they're doing to him right now to make it more difficult for him to win in a general election is straight-up criminal. We'll take a time out here. It's 11.58. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz. On AM 1420, The Answer. Yes, indeed. We move into hour number three now at 11 minutes past 11 o'clock on this Friday. Free Fall Friday. Great calls last segment. Great interviews earlier in the program. Anything that you miss, conversations, calls, monologues, you name it, interviews, make sure you check out the webpage. We uh, upload the podcast every single show about an hour after the show. So around 1 o'clock or so today, go to whkradio.com and you can indeed... Uh, catch what you missed. 
So we had great conversations, like, like I said earlier today, and I want to have another one now. I want to welcome to the program a couple of people who are trying very, very hard to make a difference in the lives of needy people. And I know what a compassionate audience I have, because I know so many of you personally. You come out to the events at which I speak, and uh, you message me, and you support me, and I know you very well. So that's why I'm really, really comfortable bringing uh, this to you. Jeff Mancinetti. And Emily Mancinetti, uh, joining us now from an organization that you're going to be introduced to called 30 Hearts. It's an organization that is backed, supported, and supported by my good friends at Discount Drug Mart. The Bouger family that uh, owns Discount Drug Mart are a part of 30 Hearts. And I said, you know what? Uh, I like good people, and I like good causes, and uh, and I love my clients, and so here we are. Jeff and Emily with 30 Hearts are here to help us figure out how to help people who are far less fortunate than ourselves in places where uh, help is hard to come by. Jeff and Emily, thank you so much for joining us, both of you. Jeff, how are you, sir? Doing great. Yeah, thanks yeah, so, thanks so much, much for having us. Well, we got an echo situation going on there. We'll have to try to work on that one. Let's see how Emily sounds. Emily, can you hear me okay? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, good. You don't have the echo, so we're in good shape with that. Uh, we'll try to work on uh, work on Jess. Emily, we'll start with you. Tell us about 30 Hearts. First of all, um, we're, we're going to learn about how you got involved with Ethiopia in a moment, but but the name 30 Hearts has got to mean something, and I think it's because uh, I already know the story. We've talked, but I would like uh, to everybody everybody to know what 30 Hearts does. Yeah, so 30 Hearts, the name itself, um, originated because we were given a email from someone we met, and we can talk more about him, mm-hmm. um, but... All that to say, when we heard that we were going to be talking about these 30 children that we wanted to help, 30 orphan children, we were just brainstorming, thinking, what is a way for people who we are going to ask to possibly support these children to connect with them beyond just um, statistics? A lot of times we hear the statistics. There's millions of orphan children, and we don't always know what to do. So our thought was we have 30 children, and we want people to connect to their hearts. We want them to realize they're children, just like their own children, or just like their neighbor children or grandchildren. And so that's why we came up with the name 30 Hearts, so yeah. that people are drawn to these children's hearts, and that yeah. they matter and they're valued. Yeah, I love it. Uh, it is uh, it is such a, a wonderful way to look at it, because that is what it's all about. Now, tell me about your story, how you came became involved with Ethiopia, and uh, and how we got to where we are. Yeah, so when I was a teenager, actually, I started sponsoring a young girl from Ethiopia. Her name is Wainatu, and it was through a different organization. Um, And then when I married Jeff, we decided we sponsored her together. So all of our letters, we would write to her together. We would say, you know, back and forth, you know, she would tell us, will you come and visit? I would love for you to see my country. And so we decided to go to Ethiopia and to visit her and see her home, meet her aunt, who she was living with. We learned that she was also an orphan child living with her aunt, and that our support was helping her drastically. It was keeping her alive. It was sending her to school. She was learning about Jesus and having an opportunity to live where otherwise she wouldn't have. We're talking with Emily Mancinetti, and now I think we have Jeff Mancinetti's phone worked out. Okay, Jeff, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Can you oh, hear me? That's, yep, you sound perfect now. Thank you for uh, working through okay, that with us. Great. Jeff, I want to pick up on what Emily just said about your trip to Ethiopia. Um, 
tell me what you saw and tell me how it impacted you. For most of us, we know nothing. Mm-hmm. We, don't, we, we probably in our mind's eye maybe have an image of the kinds of things we used to see on late-night TV commercials, you know, campaigns mm-hmm. uh, for, for donor support, and you see just the most squalid conditions uh, of, of, you know, children without clothing, without food, surrounded, mm-hmm. by, uh, surrounded by the worst things that you can imagine. What did you see firsthand? Yeah, it's really interesting because this was the first time I had been out of the country, so it was incredibly eye-opening for me to go to a developing country like Ethiopia, where there is a lot of poverty. And uh, like Emily said, to walk into Wainatu's house was incredible. It was this small one-room home, so just one dangling light bulb, you know, on the ceiling as their as their light source, and her her bed was just on the floor, and she was just one child of of thousands and thousands and thousands in the country who were growing up in poor situations. And we saw things as we traveled around. We would see children um, carrying the big, heavy uh, water jugs and found out they would walk for miles to get uh, water that a lot of times was not even clean water. And we would um, just see these situations where um, people were living so differently from how we are here. And, you know, us, we were younger at the time, um, almost turning 30, and it, it was growing this passion in us. We saw it and said, this isn't right. You know, people should not be living this way. What, what can we do about it? And um, it just really started to spark, light, a, light a spark in us that we wanted to, to do something more. Mm-hmm. Jeff, when um, people hear stories like this, I know what they think, because I, I've been guilty of it myself. I think, well, there's a lot of, there's a lot of poverty here, too. Uh, America first. Well, I got to take her. Uh, we have to be able to to see things from a different perspective, and we have to recognize that humans are humans. We're not talking about forced donations. We're not talking about you know taxation. We're we're talking about people wanting to help human beings who might be in a situation where they're not going to get help. And even somebody who is in a mm-hmm. dire situation here, you know, one of the wealthiest nations in, on the earth and in the history of earth, they have an opportunity. And those opportunities don't exist in a place like Ethiopia unless people step up mm-hmm. the way you are, the way 30 hearts are. Tell me about the need and how we can meet it. Yeah. So what's great is while there is, definitely a need in Ethiopia, and there's um, poverty throughout the country. There are people locally in the country who are willing to step up and who want to do something to help their fellow Ethiopians and to help them rise out of poverty. And so we were able to connect with a local organization called Stand for the Vulnerable Organization Mm -hmm. in Ethiopia, and they are a great group of uh, Christian people who want to make a difference in their country. But like you said, they don't always have the resources. And so that's where where we can come in. This gives us an opportunity to directly partner with them, to come alongside them and not say, hey, here's how we think you should do things. Um, Come in with our opinions, but work with them and say, we see the need and you see the need and you're willing to do something. How can we work together um, to help these children? And so we had a passion because of meeting Wainatu and knowing the high number of orphan children that we can start to make a change in the country if we can help these children rise out of poverty. 
and change their future trajectory by giving them an education, helping them grow up in a family where they are cared for and and loved. And um, so when we started to partner with Stand for Vulnerable organization, um, we started to see that we were actually able to make change even though we live on the other side of the world. Emily, tell me more about the Stand for the Vulnerable organization. Um, I know you guys did your due diligence here, but I want you to explain it because one of the reasons a lot of Americans are, you know, reticent to to donating uh, money to to you know people in impoverished lands is because they don't know that the money is going to get there. Uh, too many times we have seen corrupt governments taking donations that were intended to buy food for starving people or help orphan children like the ones you're talking about in Ethiopia and the money never gets there. We need to make sure that mm-hmm. the charity we're working with can be trusted to get the money where it needs to go. Can you tell us more about that? Right, and that's so true. Um, it's a good point. Um, so Stand for the Vulnerable organization is led by their executive director. His name is Niskana, and having met him personally, having been both of us, Jeff and I, been in Ethiopia with him over the past seven years, we have seen his character, his leadership, and it's hard to explain unless you meet him, but he is the most faith-filled man of God who is leading his organization with humility and with um, transparency. We are always getting information from him based on audits, and other organizations who he's working with, such as USAID or Duke University. Um, He's doing much more in Ethiopia than just this orphan care situation we're handling with him, but he's also just changing the the landscape of Ethiopia itself and helping the people, like Jeff said, rise out of poverty. And so this organization, we have put our complete faith and trust in because we have a relationship, we have a friendship with them to where this partnership is truly, um, truly that. It's a partnership. It's a family where we are on the same mission with the same goal of bringing hope and healing to these orphaned and vulnerable children so that these, these children have a home. They have a place to, to live and be safe in a family instead of what could be their situation. Well, your partnership with that organization is obviously integral to making this work, and it's our partnership with you and with uh, with Discount Drug Mart uh, that's going to make it even better um, through the 30 Hearts uh, model. So, Jeff, tell us how this works. Tell us what the 30 Hearts model is, uh, what is provided, and how we're helping the orphans in, in Ethiopia. Yeah, so... It's a unique model, and it's one that we created with our local partners there in Ethiopia. And we looked around and we identified children who were living in complete poverty, who were in a vulnerable situation. A lot of these children have lost both parents. Some of them had spent time living on the streets and begging for food and trying to find shelter. And we knew that a child is not, to meant, not meant to live on the streets but they are meant to grow up in a family. They are meant to be raised in a family where they can experience love and have all their needs taken care of and have a roof over their head. And so we didn't want to just uh, build an orphanage. We didn't want to just create a building where they would be, uh, you know, hundreds of kids were living in an institution, not experiencing that love of a family. And so the model of 30 Hearts 
is actually pretty unique because we are working with our local partners there in Ethiopia, and we started in a town called Baco, and they identified Christian women from the local churches to become mothers uh, to five children. So each woman becomes a mother and raises five children, and they live together and they grow up in a home, and we help provide for their needs so that they have a roof over their heads and they have food and clothing. And it's really amazing to see how these women have have stepped up and have said, you know, we want to see a change in our community. We want to see these children grow up with opportunity and have a future. And so they are giving of their time and of themselves um, to raise these children and become mothers. And to make them their own. Staff. That's right. It's a, it's a real family. So it's amazing. You know, any, anybody who's got, uh, you know, a large family, you know, parents who have had, you know, multiple children, you know, four or five children like that know how difficult it is. And you do that on your own by choice. These mothers are taking in children that are not theirs, but they are making them mm-hmm. theirs. They're taking these orphans and raising them as their mother. Uh, and it's literally about as uh, selfless an act as anybody can possibly make. And that's what we're trying to support. That's what we want to help. Uh, and that's why we're going to be asking for donations to 30 hearts so this money can be passed forward through the uh, charitable organization in Ethiopia that Jeff and Emily are telling us about right now. Tell us what the money has done so far. Tell me some of the accomplishments. Emily, we'll go to back to you for this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, thanks to the supporters who have donated, what kinds of things have, have already been done? Right. So 30 children, like we've said, um, have been brought from hopelessness to hope. They now have a home and a family, and then six women also. Um, what's awesome is they're also brought out of poverty. They're also brought out of situations that um, they weren't able to provide or they had medical issues. So these women now have hope and a future as well. Um, and then... We have also, over the years, um, we've been able to provide six homes for them. It was um, kind of like a different situation when we started just in a rental place, but we were able to give six homes to these six families within this community and also staff offices, um, a mini clinic, a library, space for tutoring. And this is also within the property where they live. This is providing for the community as well. And so a few years ago, we were able to start helping families within the Baco community who actually 30 families um, who were in their most vulnerable situation. So this is almost taking a step back. So we're able to help these children who have families within the community stay in their families. Because what we learned is a lot of these families, if the father is out of work or if it's just a single mother and they can't get work, they're caring for their children, um, on top of poverty, on top of um, the COVID issue and everything else, um, they often don't have the ability to feed their kids or keep their kids, and so they have to find other solutions. So providing and helping these children is also giving them the chance to stay in their families and not become orphans. And so many children now are being helped, and we... in currently are in the process of watching two more homes being built in Ethiopia so that 10 more children who are orphaned will be able to become sons and daughters in two new families. So that's, that's wonderful. the exciting next step. Yeah, big time. And and I love that 10 more kids, but obviously the need is so much greater than 30 kids and 10 more kids mm-hmm. and so on and so forth, which is why uh, we need to help. And, and this is, I think, what God calls us for to personally, you know, God 
I'm not going to preach. I'm not qualified. I'm not a preacher. But what you guys are doing, I think, is God's work. And these children need help from people who believe in God's children. And God's children don't just live here. God's children live everywhere. And in this case, um, they're in dire need. So, Jeff, uh, tell us exactly how people can donate. What can people do? Where can they send money? How, how do they make this work? Yeah, thank you so much uh, for this opportunity. We're just so so thankful to be able to share this now because, like you said, um, the need is huge. Ethiopia alone has about 4.6 million orphan children, and it might seem like we're making a small impact by helping 30 or by helping 10 at a time. But if you impact one child, we really believe that that will have a ripple effect, that we can uh, change the trajectory of one child's life and impact their heart, not just for today, but for eternity. You don't know what God will do with that. And so we yeah. encourage people to support, to get involved. And if you visit our website at 30hearts.org, um, you can easily make a donation there. You can make a one-time donation or sign up to give monthly. And our monthly donors um, really are um, just the heroes behind this who are helping to provide for those those holistic needs of the children and the families so that every month they don't have to worry about where their next meal comes from or if they'll have enough um, clothing or if they can get an education. They know that their needs will be provided for because there are people here who have stood up and decided to speak up on their behalf and support them. And so we just encourage um, anyone who feel, feels led and feels moved to support to join us at 30hearts.org and make a donation. Well, that's why we're here. We are joining as a, you know, as a radio station and as a company. WHK supports this. I know the good people, the Bouger family and others at Discount Drug Mart, they support this. And I know this audience is filled with people with compassion and concern and, and the love of God's children. So uh, I, I hope they will go indeed to 30hearts.org. It's, uh, it's the number 30. It's not spelled out. It's 30hearts.org. And up in the upper right-hand corner, as I stare at it right now, you will see the donate button, and you can bring some relief to these orphaned children uh some very dedicated people are putting in the legwork in addition to the financial sacrifices need to be made all we're asking you to do is to help their efforts by making a donation and if you can make a monthly donation again as uh, as jeff just said it's going to make a huge difference in the lives of so many so jeff mancinetti and emily emily mancinetti and all of the good people at 30 hearts who are working so hard on this i really appreciate what you're doing thank you for making us aware of it and uh hopefully god will indeed inspire and move some people who are listening right now to help join the cause and support this very important organization. Thank you both very much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank God you. bless. God bless you both. Uh, okay, 1131. Uh, took it to the bottom. We're going to take a time out here. We're going to come back and wrap it on this Friday episode of Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. I was uh, I was just reliving the tweet from earlier today. Well, it's a tweet. With a, it's a video that I shared with you, but I got it from Twitter. Uh, <laughs> Pramila Jayapal and Bernie Sanders want to give college away to everybody. They want you to pay for it. It's, I love how they throw around the word free, as if it is free, as if there is no cost. You know, college professors will work for free. College buildings will be built for free. Supplies and technology will be donated for free. 
as, as if there's no cost. The only thing that's free would be for the little and soon to be indoctrinated, you know, mush head students uh, that they can they can program and 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 uh, you know indoctrinate and groom into the cultural Marxist lifestyle. They're the only ones who wouldn't have to pay. Literally everybody else has to pay except for the students. I, I, I talked about this in the first hour of the show, and it's, I'm just still kind of trying to wrap my brain around it. Bernie Sanders and Pramila Jayapal have tag-teamed up to reintroduce a bill that would make public colleges and universities tuition-free. Mind you, not just community colleges, all colleges. Ohio State, free. Kent State, free. Um, you know, University of Toledo, University of Cincinnati, I've just picked the Ohio colleges. But they're all free. Except that somebody has to pay for all of those things that I just said are not going to be donated. Professors won't donate their time. They should because it's almost worthless. Um, and enough of them anyway. You know, builders aren't going to donate their, their products and their, and their materials and their time. It's all going to have a price tag. So uh, one reporter asked Pramila Jayapal, well, if it's free... How's it getting done? How's it getting paid for? And you're, you're going to love the answer. The College for All Act, sponsored by Senator Bernie Sanders and Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal, would make public college free for families making under $250,000. But they are dancing around the question, who is paying for it? <laughs> is it really free? Well, it is. Uh... You know, that's a yes or no question. All you have to do is say, yes, it's free. But then, let's continue. I'm really trying to ensure that families, the majority of families, um, earning up to 125000 for an individual or 250 for a family, are able to access higher education. Is part of it paid through a tax on Wall Street, individual stock transactions? She might as well just say what she means here, which is, duh. Of course it is. That in, but yes, yeah, certainly there's lots of different ways to pay for it. We we don't suffer from scarcity. <laughs> we don't suffer from scarcity. We can always make the people pay more in taxes. For crying out loud, has any Democrat ever made a proposal that wasn't going to lead to an increase in taxes on the average American worker? No. People think it's just a political term to say tax and spend Democrats. Oh, it's just all about politics. What the hell have they ever suggested that didn't involve taxing and them spending your money? And the worst part about what they want to do here is what they're spending it on. And you say, what do you mean? How can it be, how can it be a bad expenditure of our money if it's on education? Education is a good thing, right? Well, yeah, if it's education, not so much. When it's full-on leftist indoctrination into communist and collectivist theory and racial division and child transing and all of the other crap that is going on at colleges all over this country. We all know it started at the college level, moved to the high school level. we got to get them early. Hey, you know what? High school's not early enough. Get them at the junior high level. Hey, you know those primary kids? They're pretty uh, vulnerable at that stage. Let's get them there. And now we actually have pre-K teachers starting the indoctrination and bragging about it on videos. But at the collegiate level, that's when they really do their best job of full-on indoctrination and brainwashing. Kids are 18, 19, impressionable as hell. 
let's get them into the colleges. And if they can't afford it, then we've got to make it free. Because if we can't make it free and we can't get them in, then we don't have access to molding their brains into the little communists, socialists, Marxists, and yes, yes, fascists. People think that fascism and socialism are like opposites. They're not. They're two sides of the same coin. And, and the best way to make them become that, the little collectivists, is to get them in. And it doesn't matter whether they graduate. As long as they take a few classes in between getting drunk and having sex and doing the college thing, as long as they get a few classes where we have access to them and we can pour this crap into their heads, uh, that's all that matters to us. And oh, by the way, Joe and John Q. Taxpayer, the bill is coming to you. Wait till you see your tax rate when we're done with free college for all. And guess what, my friends? This will pass in the Senate. This will pass if we lose the House and we have a precarious five-vote margin there. And this will be signed if we give these lunatics another four years after these in the White House. Don't let, you, uh, don't let, uh, let yourself be fooled. This is, this is the reality. That's it. That's all the time we've got. Thanks to my guests. Had great conversations all day. Thanks to the callers. Thanks to my team. That includes Jonathan and Marcy and uh, and Marianne. And thanks to you for listening. Be well. Be safe. Stay free this weekend. We'll see you Monday. Bye-bye. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 